look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You know, we often talk about, Faisal, um, engagement uh, when you move into retirement. And I don't mean getting engaged. <laughs> what I mean is you need to stay involved in something mentally, right, that keeps you keeps your brain working and keeps you with a certain level of, of positive stress to keep things moving forward. And I'm not sure everybody knows how to do that or what that means. Well, when we were looking up this whole topic, we found out there's some brain secrets out there. Yep. And so let's share the secret. They shouldn't be secrets anymore. They should just be public information. Let's get it out there as much as we can. And we've got a great guest here. We've got Dr. Bryn Weingart. She's a business brain expert. I have seen her on many different times online. She's a great speaker, has great knowledge on this whole topic. So I'm glad to have her on the show. Yep. Dr. Bryn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, um, business brain science. Uh, what, so tell us a little bit about what, what you actually focus on. What's your expertise in? So what I look to do is, is you know, it's a, a derivative of neuroscience, but it's an area called applied neuroscience, which is to take what is in the lab and otherwise inaccessible to regular folk and make it accessible and make it applicable so that you can use what we are learning about your brain and about neuroscience to actually apply it to your life. And so I, I say business brain science because typically who I'm talking to are people who are in business. So my two sort of areas, pillars of learning, I call them, are in motivation and productivity. So what can you know about your own brain to use it better to be more productive and motivated? And then in persuasion and influence, what do we need to know about the brain to help understand our customers, our clients, and how they make decisions. All right, well, let's explore that. You alluded earlier uh, in this segment to the fact that there are some secrets here. Yeah. Right? Dr. Brent, we're going to put you on the spot here because we'd love to shed some light on some of these secrets. So what are, I think there's six brain science secrets that you've identified. I'd love to hear what they are. Well, yeah, so I mean, there's probably more than that. I think when we look at the pillar of learning around decision making and how it is that people use their brains to come to conclusions to make life decisions, as example, there are six what I call neurofunctional areas that we look at that loosely, you know, I then sort of map on secrets about. But the idea that, you know, it sort of loosely follows the neuroanatomical form of your brain. So just imagine that it's not exactly how your brain would look if I peeled it like an onion, but it's almost like an onion that I unravel in order to understand really, you know, what the layers are that that are involved in how you and I make all of our decisions in life. And so one of the first layers, if you will, is this idea that when we used to talk, you've probably heard the adage, uh, you know, you're only using 10% of your brain. You've probably heard that before. That came from 1980s research yeah. that said that 10% of your brain was was conscious and the rest was non-conscious. And that got completely blasphemized in the media and, and taken to mean that you weren't using the other 90%. You're absolutely using it. But further, we now know that you're not using even 10% consciously. It's something closer to 1%. And, and some of the neuroscience scholars out there think less and less all the time. So most of our brain is actually subconscious in nature. And that means that you don't have direct control over it. And so, you know, it also means that 
that and we can show in an fMRI as an example, if I ask you a question like what's two plus two, I can show that non-conscious parts of your brain answer that question and then feed it to language centers that then answer the person that asked the question. So we know that your brain is actually coming to conclusions sort of on its own in, in areas you don't have direct control over and then it's feeding it to you consciously. That explains so much about Faisalnav. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, that has ramifications, though, for how we think about the decisions that we're making, how we think about what, you know, what do we need to know about, especially when it comes to finance and, and financial decision making, and especially as we age, uh, which is where my, my research started, actually, you know, a decade ago, was in the aging brain. What we know then is that we have to be careful about some of the schema, the schemata, the ways that our subconscious is sort of pre-programmed, if you will, to, to make decisions. Because it, it, as it turns out, no matter how it feels, we are actually so much more subconscious. And so when we ask people to do what we call metacognition or introspection, we also show in the research that they're incorrect very typically about, you know, if I asked you how much of your brain are you using or how conscious are you or how much of that decision did you consciously make, they will report high numbers. And, and that's false. We know that, in fact, you know, those, those decisions were made subconsciously. Uh, so that's the first secret. The second is the idea that we used to believe that the visual cortices were very small, like not small, but they were, you know, that protrusion at the back of your head. There's this area that is sort of on babies, especially you can really see it. It's like a bun. Uh, we used to think that was all of the visual processing yep. centers. And now we know that actually that's a lot more dispersed. So the brain is a lot less um, organ-like, like almost like your organs in your body. We used to believe that there were sort of almost clusters and organs and areas. Now we know it's a lot more network-based so that it's actually a lot more uh, dispersed throughout the brain and we don't have as specific neurofunctional areas as we thought. So your decision-making is a lot more visual than we once would have thought as well. And so that has ramifications certainly for this idea that like seeing is believing and that you will over use the heuristic of visual processing and things like social proof and watching what other people do, which skews your, your decision making. It makes it seem there's a bias there effectively. Uh, so visual areas much bigger than we once thought. The third one is the idea that, and this actually took us a while because not only is it not neurofunctional, we had a very hard time figuring out what, what basically 80% of all neural networks are dedicated to social processing. And at first it, it didn't make sense. Like it was a very hard thing to understand why even a visual area or courtesy would make social decisions or be involved in social processing. And it is. And so what we found in sort of the last seven years is that the brain is actually highly social. And so I joke sometimes in my talks, you know, about the fact that Maslow was completely wrong. Physiological needs are not first, social needs are first. And so our decision-making is in fact more social than we ever thought. And, and all of that, you know, the, the neural processing that, that is involved means that again, there again, our social circumstances and, and influences are way more heavy in terms of our decision-making, the heuristics, the schema, the schemata for what goes into why we do what we do in our lives way more social than we ever thought. So, so that's relevant too. The next is the idea that, uh, you know, our brains are highly emotional, right? That basically we have social threat and reward stimuli that we assess. And then we have, it's not quite as simple as a binary system, but then we have emotions about that. And so if you, I can, you know, almost prove it to you. If I said, what, think of the last time you were frustrated or angry or irritated, 
it almost always was because someone did something, right? Like it was a social stimuli that caused you to have an emotion. And people will often say to me, you know, Dr. Brin, I really don't want to feel emotions anymore. I really want them. I really want to turn off these negative emotions. But what I say is that emotions are actually highly functional. They're designed to make you uncomfortable enough that you will be motivated to act in your own self-interest. And so very purposefully, emotions are designed to make you feel like you're so uncomfortable, you need to do something. Uh, and so that also plays into how we make decisions. And I often say, you know, you've got to sit with the discomfort because a lot of people will make knee-jerk gut responses, really reflexive decision-making because they feel something. And it's, uh, you know, you can definitely change your mind. It's very hard to stop feeling what you're feeling. Uh, and so for that reason, people will trust how they feel over what they think. And that also means that we have to sit sometimes with those emotions in order to objectify them enough to have control over them. Because just because they are designed to make us feel and act in our own self-interest doesn't mean that they're always the right decision. And then the emotional centers of the brain we see start Dr. to- Dr. Brin? Yeah. Sorry, we've got less than a minute left before we have to go to commercial breaks. So let's hammer the last two out so everybody can get the full six from you on these sure. secrets. <laughs> you got it. Wow, time flies. Uh, and so then this, the final one, the final two really is the idea that emotional centers then lead into uh, what we call the mirror neuron system, which we see actually gets better over time uh, in terms of its acuity and its ability to help. And basically that is... This is exactly as it sounds as a system that allows for you to understand and x-ray what another person is thinking. And so when we think about, you know, how do we make decisions? How do we make sure that caveat emptor we're making the right financial decisions? Uh, it's we really have to look people in the eyeballs because that's the, the, the eyes are not the window to the soul. They're the window to the mirror neuron system. And then finally, there's this area in the brain called the TPJ. I call it the belief button, but it's basically the area that is in, in nanoseconds will make decisions decisions for whether or not you like something, you believe in something, you want to buy something. And that, unfortunately, that region is very taxed. And so it's an area that you have to be cautious about when it comes to how it is that you come to conclusions and how it is that you make your decisions. You know, Dave, we got to bring Dr. Bryn back because I think part of this is how people react to things that are happening economically in the markets with their retirement, with their family 100%. and yeah. how they, how they, how they react on other levels. I think, Dr. Brim, we got to bring you back for that. Unfortunately, we're just, we're just out of time. And so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good luck. We've been joined by Dr. Brin Weingard, who's a, a business brain expert, but certainly that title doesn't do justice to what she just shared with us. Now, you know, part of this, um, part of the way we think and interact with people and social and all those other things, it will determine the success, the pleasure we have in retirement. And we're going to talk about that on Tuesday, November 19th. 7 p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. How can the rule of 30 help you retire with the lifestyle that you want? Stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.